Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show with your chance to be heard. Give your opinion, bash on the liberals, even make fun of the wacky left. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 94.9, KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Welcome to the program. It's eight minutes after nine o'clock. How are you today, man? It is sunshiny and gorgeous, and uh, I'm just I'm happy to be alive, happy to be here, happy to have a couple of cool guests uh, in studio today. Uh, Chief Kyle Whitehead is here, and he's brought in Tiffany Mitchell. Did I get the last name right? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. Formerly Tiffany Atkin, but uh, she's now married and happy mar- marital bliss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was telling you, I really like him. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you're married to him. You better like him for crying out loud. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the program, you guys. Thanks for coming on. I know we, we do about once a month with you guys, and uh, it's uh, always always cool to have you here. Get some uh, authority. Have you comment on current events? Comment on uh, some of the things that we need to be worried about here in Southern Utah. Before we jump into anything else, Memorial Day weekend is coming. There's going to be, estimates are we grow by 11,000 people on weekends like this. Uh, that's got to make you guys' job just a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I would venture to guess we're probably uh, even more than that. Really? Yeah, it's it gets pretty crazy. I, I think 11,000 would be the, the non holiday weekends here yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. but usually these holidays they they bring a lot um, especially with the sports you see a lot of athletic events and different things uh, schools out and so we'll probably see a, a lot of people traveling for that more so, like like double that maybe twenty thousand. i i wouldn't wouldn't know it seems feels like a like lot it. it seems like yeah it feels <laughs> like it when you try and drive from one side of the city to the other yeah yeah Take take River Road from Coral Canyon out to uh, you know to Bloomington uh, Bloomington out there and, and see how how much fun it is to have all these people in town. So yeah, we're not complaining. No, one thing I might mention is the new Southern Parkway SR seven is open now all the way to Hurricane. I don't know if that's uh, you talked about that on your show previously, but for people that are trying to get uh, from one side of the county to the other, maybe from Zion to the freeway, that might be a, an alternative route. Um, that new interchange there on SR9 in Hurricane, that'll now take you out all the way past the airport, all the way to the south port of entry. Very cool. We did have uh, a little story about the groundbreaking with uh, uh, Mayor Bramel involved with that and everything. But, uh, yeah, that, that's cool. And, and we're not too far away from the northern corridor uh, opening up as well. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges when all these people come to town Uh are they generally the visitors, and we're a tourist town, and we like to have tourists, we like to be nice to them, but are they generally nice, or do we have some issues where people are belligerent? I think, I, go ahead. No, I, I don't, you go ahead. You know, you're... I, my perspective is, for the most part, these are just great families wanting to come and, and vacation and, and have a good time. We really don't get a, a rowdy crowd. Um, St. George is very family-friendly. And, and really, those are those are the people that we're seeing here. Um, our, our calls go up a little bit, mostly crashes and traffic issues mm-hmm. seem to be a, a lot of the increase. Um, most of the crimes that we see deal more with crimes of opportunity, uh, people from out of town keep being victimized by vehicle burglaries. Um, but uh, we don't see a lot of criminals coming here to commit crimes. Generally speaking, these, these vehicle bur- burglaries are... 
You said crime, crimes of opportunities. Does that mean, hey, I left my door open and, and something expensive sitting on the seat, that kind of thing? It can be. We're, we're even seeing now um, that they just leave stuff out in, in plain view and they'll smash the window out. Oh, um, we've been ground, seeing, right? Yeah, so we've been seeing in a lot of our trailheads. So if you go up SR18 or out you know, where you have the bike and hike trailheads, areas that are more remote that they know aren't covered by camera surveillance cameras or businesses nearby um, you'll have people go through uh, we've actually had a few uh, groups come from out of state and they'll just kind of make a, a rotation every couple of months and we're finding the same individuals we'll, we'll hit the same parking lots um, looking for credit cards mostly then they run out to uh, some of our local stores and, and get gift cards and then they're on to the next community. What's so? What's the answer besides uh, the obvious ones? To lock your door, uh, you know, maybe just not have valuables in the vehicle or don't, take them yeah, with you. Or yeah, absolutely. Don't put your first. Um, don't have things out in plain view where they can be seen. I always encourage people lock that stuff in the trunk where you know where there's not a chance that they're going to be seeing any type of a strap or something hanging out from under the seat. So that really is a big factor. If I'm if, if I'm a thief and I see uh, you know maybe uh, the corner of an iPad sticking out, yep. I'm going to be like, I want that, and and that's going to motivate me to smash and grab or, or whatever. Yes. Wow. Yeah. The other side of it too is is businesses. You know, we always uh, hope that the businesses will will put in place um, steps to prevent a lot of this credit card fraud. Unfortunately, we see some businesses they don't do a real good job at when someone comes through and swipe a card. Uh, they don't ask for identification or, or verify other other means, and and we unfortunately see a lot of cards being utilized by people that they shouldn't be. Mm. The the credit card fraud thing is a scary one because the credit card companies try to help you, you know. And I, I mean, we had one somebody had t- gotten our number and then they tried to buy f- some flights in Florida, and our company was like, "Hey, <laughs> you guys aren't in Florida, are you?" They actually called us, but. But I can see it, especially if it's being used close to the same area where a credit card company wouldn't pick that up. And that's such a small thing. You don't, you wouldn't think it would be that big a deal, but but I guess it really is. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, we're going to have the great influx of people. And obviously, you know, crimes we talked about. Uh, I wanted to ask you about short-term rentals. We got in this conversation with uh, one, of the, uh, one of the mayors a, a week or two ago uh, about crimes surrounding short-term rentals. And, and. You know, I, I went down to Texas a few weeks ago, stayed in a, a VRBO, and it was a pretty sketchy neighborhood. The, the place we stayed in was actually really nice, but it had like a, a seven-foot fence around it. Like, why do we need a fence here? Hmm. And then, uh, you know, as, as the evening progressed and into the, the couple of days we were there, you're like, okay, now I understand why there's a fence. But uh, th- th- it was actually p- to protect the renters, the short-term renters from the neighborhood. But that's not necessarily usually the case. Uh, in short-term rentals, you tend to think, oh, there's going to be partiers, people drinking and partying, playing music loud late at night and things like that. Is that a problem here in St. George? I I don't know that it's a huge problem. Um, where we see more probably just the minor noise complaints. Uh, I, I heard of one the other day where um, police uh, went to a, a residence that was a short-term rental, and there were literally about 30 people in this home. And so oftentimes they're not well uh, managed. You know, people are just looking to, to sell sell the weekend or, or the, the times. 
and sometimes they can get a little bit noisy. You know, people go on vacation, sometimes they want to stay up late, they want to watch <laughs> movies, they want to socialize, and, and that can disturb the neighbors. And so we, we see it occasionally, but I, I don't know that we, at least to my knowledge, we haven't had complaints of just raging crazy parties. Yeah, I hope not, hope not too bad. Uh, okay, uh, a couple of things happened last week, actually last Friday, and I wanted to kind of, if you guys don't mind, go over some procedures of things as as citizens that we need to know about what you guys are doing when something happens. Let's start right across the street from here, uh, almost well within two or three blocks of here. Uh, there was a big fire uh, last Friday. Uh, four houses burned, a lot of outbuildings. Uh, fortunately, no one was was hurt or killed. But uh, what should we know as a public when something like that happens, Kyle and Tiffany? What I mean. We all want to see it. It's our neighborhood. We want to take pictures. We want to find out, you know, if any, there's any help. I mean, sometimes it's altruistic. Sometimes we want to help. But what what should we know as citizens and what should we do when something like this happens? Well, um, first of all, what I do is I'm the public information officer, so it's important to me to make sure that we put the information out. And you did a great and job, by the way. We got that information out quickly, and I later learned that one house that burned that the dogs were rescued from, the dog owner was in California, and he'd got a call from family, and so he said, you know what, I'm going to check Facebook because St. George PD always puts out stuff like that. So he said, I pulled over on the freeway, to find out about my house burning in St. George from California because I knew that that information would be out there. Did, so we want to see the video of his puppies being rescued. Yeah, we yeah, we sent oh, that to them. Cool. Yeah, that was a great thing. But what we want you to know is that in those cases, we, we do love the help and we do love the city's involvement and support. But when we have big incidents like that, we're worrying about that incident right there. And so when we have a lot of people coming by and driving by or trying to walk by it really makes things a lot more difficult for us so we just want people to understand that and we know people are curious but keep your distance and kind of try and stay out of the way and not be part of the problem and and you know go to social media for those updates and and we'll let you know how you can help but how about a perimeter on something like that? I mean, that was an active fire where it, it yeah. could have kept growing. It actually did keep growing. It did. And parts of it blew into other areas and stuff. What kind of perimeter do you as a police department expect to set up in something like that? Well, we just did our best. And they did, we really, we this was a huge, um, yeah. like, really team-building thing for all the agencies in southern Utah. We had so many different agencies helping. We keep getting talked to like it was just us, but it wasn't. It was... It was a lot of different agencies, and that's what we do. We set up a perimeter. We try to get out get out as far as we can without being too far out, and we just try to keep the scene safe for the people. And, that, and that's why it's helpful when people don't come so close to the scene because sometimes it grows. We have to expand it. We try not to do that. We try to get, you know, around it. But in this case, with those winds, it was anything could have happened and people could have been, you know, in, in danger because they were kind of in that in that spot where the, the flames were jumping the road and burning things across the street and down the block. So, How, how do you evaluate when, you, when your first responders, especially the first people on scene, how do you evaluate when there's a fire like this, if there's people, I mean, we, we want our police officers and our fire, uh, fire, uh, you know, people to firemen to be safe. How do you evaluate if there's anybody in the house? I mean, are you banging on doors mm-hmm. and yelling and stuff? Or? 
Yeah, absolutely. We, you just divide and conquer, and we're really good at at coming up with a system to say, okay, we have an incident commander that says here, 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 and here. Or when that before that commander gets on scene, officers know what needs to be done, and they just get to work. And that was the case here: is just door to door, knocking on the doors, and it, in in those houses where it was imminent that the house was going to burn, those doors they had to be kicked in to make sure people weren't inside or. Uh, you know, in the one house, that there were dogs inside that were able to be rescued. And so, um, yeah, we'll just go door to door until we know that everybody's safe. And if, if needs be, we go into a burning home, which was the case on Friday, and, and make sure that those those houses are empty of any, any living things. I, I was uh, up at State Baseball, actually, when all this happened, uh, so I wasn't here to witness what went on. But uh, it, was, it was fascinating to watch what you guys did and watch everything develop. Uh, online, uh, I, I'm curious with so many agencies, and, and I heard there were uh, fire trucks from like Colorado City and, mm-hmm. and Hilldale, and Hurricane. I mean, just all over the place coming to help out. It, is it one of those scenes like we see in the movies where they set up a, a command center where there's there's one central spot where? By the way, I had Chief Stoker on yesterday. He did a great job t- describing kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. But is there? I mean, h- how do you? It seems chaotic to me. How do you avoid that? Well, it's a little chaotic, but I'll let Chief talk about that part. Okay. So generally, we we do set up uh, incident command. Uh, that's we've found trial and error that this. That's usually the best way to manage these types of incidents. Uh, for example, on this fire, I was I was just leaving the parking lot to head home, and so I went over just thinking I'd maybe help for a minute and ended up getting in the middle of it. Um, but, yeah, so Chief Stoker um, set up as incident commander on the fire end, and um, one of our captains was the incident commander on the law end. And there we just take on our individual roles. You know, our job is to keep people out and away from from the scene where the the burning is happening and the fires focus that allows the fire department to focus solely on extinguishing the fire and, and addressing the that issue. Did I mean? How do you communicate with these other? Is it all over the radio? There, everybody go to channel eight. Yeah, or different different channels. Um, but if you have a, a unified command where you have the incident commanders together, then they can each talk on their individual channels and have that face to face discussion as well. On, on any issues that come up or things that they see. For example, at one point, um, Chief Stoker mentioned to uh, uh, we had a discussion about fires, spot fires that were starting in some of the on the hillside across diagonal. Right, right. And so I was able to send some officers over there because they all the firefighters were focused on the, the structures that were burning. And so I had a few fu- officers um, free them up, go over into these backyards and monitor that. And they were able to keep uh, put out some spot fires and, and keep that safe, and then kind of give us an idea of what we were, you know, what challenges may may pop up over there. Luckily, nothing ever really got got out of control. The officers were able to keep those fires out. When you think about uh, what might have happened with the wind, the way it was, as dry as it has been, uh, it's it's close to a miracle that that you guys and the fire fires were able to uh, keep this thing from being mm-hmm. so much worse. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty intense. I I was uh, I was really worried. You know, there were some. Tiffany mentioned this, and and I'm, I probably ought to reemphasize. Uh, she was a little bit kind about uh, asking people, look, you know, avoid the areas. Um, you know, let, we need to be able to do our job. I would be a little more forceful and say, don't come in the area. Um, when you see the smoke, go about your business. Look at it on social media. Do not come in the area. We had so many problems with traffic, mm-hmm. um, people wanting to get in. I've just got to get to there. 
um, I mean, the, the things we hear, people trying to, to get past our, our perimeters mm-hmm. because I just need this, I just need that. Right. Even if it's your house burning, I'm, I'm sorry, but your need to take photos of the house burning really is, is very low on our priority list. You know, yeah. we've, we have lives to worry about. We have this, the, the challenge of this fire potentially spreading to other homes that we're trying to avoid. And so it's, I know people get frustrated. Uh, sometimes they may, may even get yelled at by officers, but it's because this continual need of people wanting to, to come, come into the area and, and really it interferes with the operations and their ability to keep uh, not just the community safe, but also the first responders. Yeah. We, we had a lot of power outage too, so I think right. that played a part. People were getting in crashes. We had animal control taking um, crashes, and, and it just wasn't necessary. You just... You've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention to the road or stay home or stay out of the area. It just creates so much more work that didn't need to be created. That power out, it's knocked the, 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 the whole cluster of Cherry Creek radio stations off the air for a time, too. Yeah. I think it was only about an hour, but yeah. uh, knocked them off the air for a time. Do you guys remember that uh, tanker truck, gas tanker truck that crashed out by Hurricane, out by Quail, Quail Creek Estates and all that a few years ago? Oh, yeah. Um, I. Yeah, I remember hearing. I mean, it's been twenty something years now. I say a few years ago. It's been a while. It was before I was a police officer. Yeah, that that long ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I was actually I, I was a dad of uh, three young boys at the time, and um, I had just picked them up from something, and I had to get home. And I, so, you know, we lived in we lived just on the other side of that bridge in, in a place called Lava Bluff, and. Uh, I came to this lineup of cars, and, and I was actually one of the first ones in the lineup that the police were, you know, stopping traffic. And uh, I was like, uh, hey, uh, I just live right there. I, so I did the same thing you are just talking about. Mm-hmm. I said, I just live right there. Is there any way to get through? And, of course, the police officer was very kind, somewhat forceful, and said, uh, you're going to have to go around, sir. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, going around there meant all, going all the way out to the freeway and then down to uh, to Tokerville and around that way. And I, and I was literally within a quarter mile of my place. And, sure. and, and, and so, you know, it was like a 40-mile trip around the, around the horn. But uh, I, un, I understand. I think I even understood then. Uh, I didn't know the extent of how bad because we couldn't see the actual crash from where they had stopped traffic. Uh, so, so, but I think I understood at the time that it was a pretty serious deal, but I, I kind of was like probably some of the people you encounter this weekend. I just need to get right there. Mm-hmm. I just need the, you know, this one thing, you know, I, but I this gotta, is how I get home. This is my way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I have young boys, you know, and he's crying and this one needs a diaper change and stuff, you know, or, or we have schedules to keep. I mean, we're yeah. all busy and, and mm-hmm. that's understandable. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So how does a big kind of flashy and i don't mean that in a good way but a big flashy event like that fire compared to something that happened in ivan's uh, on the same night uh where there was a, a a guy that elected to pull a gun and kill his wife and when she said she was leaving him uh the event was not as public but it happened and people there were witnesses in the area and stuff when, when you have a scene like that where I mean, the guy basically gave up, and I mean, he was no longer a threat. He, he put his gun down, and I mean, maybe you know more about it than I do, but basically, it was it was a non-threatening event. It wasn't big and flashy and, and scary like like what we had here. How does that differ when when it comes to your job in securing the scene? Well, I think it's just a smaller scene. Luckily, in that case, it was a smaller scene. So, mm-hmm. the tactics we use and the the communication and the command staff and how we how we organize the scene is the same it's just on a smaller on a smaller scale and 
and I would say it was it was probably a pretty scary situation for a minute mm-hmm. um, for them and not knowing initially what they were walking into, but it could have turned even worse, and luckily it didn't. But again, it, it's just a it's just a different type of a scene, but same same things have to happen. Scene security and and communication between agencies, and and everyone jumps in and gets to work. They are very different scenes, you know. You look at it though, and one is is more of a a uh, fire response. The other one is yeah. definitely more of a police response. Um, and there's a lot more safety issues. You know, yeah. when you are dealing with humans, uh, there's a lot more unpredictability. Yeah. Whereas fire, you know, even though the wind's blowing, but you you still kind of know the areas that you need to be. There's there's behavior. You can you can see where the what the fire's doing, and uh, but people are a little less predictable. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, how long has it been since we had a murder? Actually, that, that was in Ivins, uh, Santa Clara Ivins Police Department. How, many, how long has it been since we've had one in St. George? Hmm, probably within. I think it was last year. Was it? I think it was last year. We had a couple of uh, young people shot over in the mall area um, on the east um, east of Eastridge, or by the DI in that area. Okay. Um, it's two separate incidents, but those are the last ones I recall. Um, yeah, we we don't have a lot here. Fortunately, knock yes. on wood, we're we're very blessed to live in in the community we we do and and have the people that we have here. It's uh, that's that's why I like St. George. Mm-hmm. Let's go back over to Ivan's. Do you guys help them now in the investigation of what happened over there? Uh, if they request it, certainly okay. we would. Yeah, but at this point, no. No, we haven't been involved in that investigation. Okay. What about these? Uh, you talked about the murders from last year. Uh, what What's the procedure? I mean, obviously, secure the scene. I mean, do, is it like the police show? Police shows where you send the body to the coroner to be examined and do an autopsy and things like that, and then you you know look for foot uh, not footprints fingerprints and things. Like that. Is it basically? Yeah. So what? normally, your first responding officers they will secure. We call it secure the scene. Basically, they make sure. Uh, you know, life safety is, is first priority at medical attention for anybody that needs it. You know, if the person's not definitely deceased, then we'll get them to the hospital, get medical attention, try and try and help them. Then, of course, we want to secure the scene, any evidence, identify witnesses, the detectives come in, and that's where things really start to slow down. Is once that scene is secure and safe, then the detectives will come in, and they start the, the laborious process of pouring through everything and trying yeah. to recreate and figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the autopsy is a part of that, and so a detective would go uh, with the body up to the uh, medical examiner's office in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. They would witness the autopsy and also help the coroner with any information they might be uh, wondering about the scene. You know, what what did you see? What was you know some of the fill in some of the gaps for them. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily an independent thing. Is it, they're looking at, you know like if say it was a riverbed, they might you know tell the coroner, hey, you know she was found in the water. Or, or something like that. Yeah, and, and it is independent in that the coroner, they have a, a very different investigation, a very specialized investigation that we just don't get into all of that science and, and medical. And so, but they, they would ask questions, like you say, if they're, you know, she was found underwater, well, are there, is there water in the lungs? You know, that sometimes could help determine whether it, that she was drowned or did, you know, did the death happen before right. um, she was put in, placed in the water or went into the water. All right, uh, we've got to get a weather break in. You guys okay to hang a little bit longer? And Certainly. Talk with us today. We're talking with Tiffany Mitchell and Kyle Whitehead from the St. George Police Department. Tiffany is the public information officer, and uh, Kyle is the chief. I, I don't ever call you chief. Hey, chief. Kyle's fine. 
<laughs> All right, we'll take a break. Back with more with those uh, those uh, good folks right after this. We're interactive at the Andy Griffin Show. Call in now at 673-5890. Text in at 435-467-5842. Email at agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Let your voice be heard on the Andy Griffin Show. 937 on KDXU. We've got the uh, police department here. Kyle Whitehead, the chief, and Tiffany Atkin, the public information officer. Thanks for coming, guys. You bet. Thanks for having us. A couple of notes before we get back into it uh, with you guys. Uh, on the program tomorrow, we've got uh, Zach Renstrom from the Washington County Water Conservancy District. A good time of year to talk to him with the drought we're in and the hot summer on its way. Uh, he'll be on the first part of the show. Uh, second part of the show, we will have Jordan Vertadero from ABC4 News on the program. I don't know, have you talked to Jordan yet? Has he uh, cornered you and... Uh, I think I have. Uh, yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm not real good with names, and I'm better with faces. No, but no worries. So, we met so, her. We met her Friday at the fire for the first time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. K- K- Katie Corrales was ABC 4s reporter here in town for a long time, a couple of years, and then uh, Jordan has taken her place as uh, Katie has moved on. Okay, so I probably yeah. saw her, but I don't know that I met her. Tiffany had a lot yeah. more interaction with the media at the fire, so. Anyway, we're going to get to know Jordan a little bit tomorrow on, on the program and, and uh, find out what she's all about, where she's from. She's actually uh, interesting. She's half Portuguese, half Colombian. Oh, cool. Now, Portugal is in Europe and Col- yeah. Colombia, of course, in South America. And I was like, how did your parents get together? I said, well, they met at college. So, Oh, great. <laughs> there you go. Cool story. That's awesome. I'll talk more about that with her uh, tomorrow. Uh, on Thursday, Mayor Kenny Nielsen will join me. From Washington City, he's going to bring, I believe he's going to bring his, his city attorney, Thad Segmiller, who was, used to be the judge for Washington City, accepted the job as the attorney, but had to step down as the judge because he can't go and argue cases before himself. That would be weird. Uh, so uh, anyway, that'll, that'll be on the program on Thursday, Friday, of course, open line Friday. We'll also hear from uh, Senator Mike Lee for five or ten minutes during the program on Friday as well. So lots of good stuff planned for you folks. So hopefully you will uh, join uh, tomorrow. I'm going to be giving away some tickets to a ro- uh, well, not rock concert, but an, an upbeat concert out at the Rock Bowl at San Hollow. Uh, that includes food vouchers, so you get free food along with your concert. So uh, that's kind of a, a cool deal, and uh, we've got that coming up as well. Um, let's uh, before we before we do anything else, you guys wanted to talk about some of the issues involved with well, kids being out for summer. Yeah. It's the, well, I guess today's official, right? The official first day of summer? Yeah, graduation right? I think is happening today, today and tomorrow. Yeah, today yeah. and tomorrow. And yeah, so graduation. maybe Thursday is technically. My my daughter said, yeah, I have school tomorrow, speaking of, of Wednesday. And I said, but I thought graduation was today. And she says, uh, she's a junior. And she says, yeah, but we're supposed to go to school tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, are you really going to go? <laughs> have uh, you really been going? <laughs> yeah, not, not so much. They're like my kids. Days. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, even though it's not official just yet. It is summertime. Kids have a lot of free time, Tiffany. Yeah. Well, what what we wanted to talk about is we we've had a we've already had a ped vehicle accident or crash this morning involving some children. So we just we really want people to be aware of that. And you know that the kids are more kids are going to be out and about. They're going to be out early and late. And we also want parents to talk to their kiddos about how to be safe when they're out on their scooters. Scooters seem to be having a comeback and there's a lot of kids on them or even walking or biking. Just talk to your kids about being safe and, and how to cross the street and 
and drivers to not be distracted and watch the speed and and watch for pedestrians and cyclists. Was it real serious or was it not too bad? No, not, not, I mean, you know, it's never great when a child is struck by a vehicle, but this child will be okay, you know, considering, but we don't want it to get to a point that something, something worse happens. We've had a few over the last probably six months or so. And so we just want people to be aware and remember we all have a role in everyone getting home safe. So Memorial Day starts the 100 deadliest days. Hmm. The other topic I might just mention with uh, kids being out of school, sometimes parents are working and kids are looking for things to do during the day. Um, Parents, please um, talk with your kids. Uh, Take away that ability for them to jump on those ATVs and race around the neighborhood. We have so many problems um, and not, we've been having problems leading up to the summer and I'm sure the summer it's going to get worse. Um, We will be enforcing ATV laws Um, that's in fact, something we're going to be focusing more on this summer because we are having such a problem with it and it is for everybody's safety. Um, these kids get on these ATVs, they, they disobey traffic control devices. They're running through stop signs. Uh, they're crashing into parked cars. They just get with friends. And sometimes I think the the common sense seems to, uh, elude them. And, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, and these kids get injured really bad. These things are made for off-road out in the mountains and hills and, and uh, the uh, you know unincorporated areas that are not built for the city streets, and, and they just cause a lot of problems. And so please um, speak with your kids, um, have that discussion, but then also hide those keys or, or mm. disable them to the, so that they can't get those things started um, while you're at work or in your absence. I had uh, actually yes, last night, uh, yesterday evening, about uh, maybe five o'clock. I'm driving down the, my neighborhood sidewalk here in St. George, and a looked like to be a 13, 14 year old jumped in, had jumped in a, a little razor and decided to rip out of the driveway right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And had I not been paying attention, yeah. we could have had uh, an accident. So, yes, uh, good, good word of advice there, Chief. Appreciate that. Uh, let's go to the phone lines and uh, and take some caller questions. Hey, uh, you're on. Thank you for being patient with Chief Whitehead and Tiffany Mitchell. What's up? Good morning. I have to apologize. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm out for a walk, and I seem to be huffing and puffing more <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> I can <laughs> but, relate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll stop here and take a rest. You know, uh, I got thinking about that fire, and we all read stories now and then where we say, wow, I mean, what are the chances of that happening? Uh, when you read a story where someone's hurt or injured, and... Washington County is a very conservative county, and there's a lot of gun owners here. Well, when guns comes ammunition, and when you have a house fire, if ammunition is not properly stored, that popping sound might not be paint cans. It could be ammunition. And you have looky-loos all standing around. You're really putting yourself in danger. I mean, it's understandable where the police and the firefighters, that's, that's part of their job, unfortunately, where they have to put their life in danger every day. But for a looky-loo to stand out there in front of a burning house not knowing what's inside that house, to me, it's just insane. That's a good point. Uh, let me just mention this this particular fire. When we first arrived on scene, I was even there, and we did have ammunition um, igniting in the house. Um, I wow. spoke with somebody over, uh, a neighbor over the back wall from one of the residences where the ammunition was going off, and they actually had a shell casing from one of the expanded um, from the ammunition that had landed next to them. And so, yeah, it, it does happen. We, we, we see it a lot. I know the fire department encounters a lot. And we just, again, to your point, please, you know, don't, don't make our job more difficult. We need to stay back and, and keep the area clear. 
Well, and he's right. Store that store that ammunition ahead of time. Make sure it's in a safe yeah, spot. I, I have mine stored in a metal box, and uh, but even that, you know, sure. Uh, depending where it is, and the, the closet collapses, and something falls down, opens. So yeah, it's it's just a dangerous scene. Any fire is a dangerous scene, and uh, you're right. Just watching on social media. Thanks for the great job you're doing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the great points. So appreciate it. And enjoy your walk. All right. We know you're thank going you. uphill both ways. We get it. It's fine. All right, go to line two. Caller, thank you for calling in today. What's on your mind? Good morning. Good morning. It, it seems that the uh, irony is lost in uh, uh, we're, we're talking about. Can you call me back in a second? You're, we're, you're a little bit distorted. Let's get, let's get that call back. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes we get a little distortion there. By the way, Jordan Verdadero is here, and what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and bring her on in uh, I don't know if she knows where to go yet. I just got a text from her. She was, uh, I thought she was coming tomorrow, but she's, uh, she's here somewhere. Uh, so let's do this. Let's go back to that caller because I promised. Hey, uh, sorry about that. What's up? That's okay. Uh, it seems that the uh, irony is lost on the fact that we're talking about scooters on one hand, and then we talk about ATVs on the other. And both of them are pretty similar. Um, you know, we, we t- have an accident apparently this morning with a scooter and a, a motor vehicle, and, and we're okay with that. And we have kids zipping all over the place, ignoring the uh, traffic uh, rules and, you know, going quite fast through parking lots. And, I mean, you guys have seen them. They're all over the place, and, you know, they're fun, and they're kids. But they're not very responsible when you mix them in with uh, cars and, and other activities. And then, so we're okay with that. We just tell them to be careful, but ATVs, oh no, we got to take the keys away from them. Let's disable these things. And yes, they go faster. They're also a little bigger. You can see them a little easier. These little scooters, sometimes these guys come darting out of places. I had no idea they were, they were even in the area. And so I, I just, I don't know how we, we miss the uh, the, uh, the conflict there, the irony that one of these things is good because the city apparently has partnered with this scooter company, but somehow now we got to make uh, ATVs bad and we got to shut them down and parents have to disable them and take kids away. Okay, well, let me clarify. When I say scooter, I meant the little push scooters that small scooter. children yeah. push that are not motorized. The other thing I might uh, mention to that is is I'm not saying, I don't think I, any of us in here are alleging uh, ATVs are bad. Uh, ATVs are good. I have ATVs myself, but there are laws that govern where those can be used. The city street and neighborhoods is not the place for those to be used, even by adults. It's illegal. And so that's the point that I'm making um, because there is a safety aspect to it. But I, I, I want to put that out there that... Um, I'm, I'm, I disagree with your point that we're trying to make it, make out the ATV owners and, and people that have ATVs mm-hmm. are irresponsible. Everybody is and, and that they, they should be banned. That's not what I'm saying. All right. No, uh, it just goes back to personal responsibility and accountability and just try to teach your kids to be safe and, and follow the rules and the laws. And, and we're all going to hopefully do our best to do that and keep everyone safe. That's that's our ultimate goal is we just don't want people hurt or or their property damaged and just respect that. Awesome. Tiffany, Kyle, thanks for coming on. I'm going to take a little break here, and we'll, we're going to talk to Jordan for a couple of minutes, if that's okay with you guys. Oh, no so worries. We're being, vo- we're being booted. Okay. Well, kind of, yeah. Okay. But, uh, but it's the first time I've ever kicked the police out of my life. Yeah, so. I mean, we're going to remember this. I, I don't know. <laughs>
It's fine. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for coming in today, guys. Great to talk to you. See Our program today, again, brought to you in part by Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a local loan consultant. His specialty is, well, what you need, customer service. He takes care of you. In fact, the proof is in the uh, reviews. Joe has uh, over 550 reviews, and uh, he's averaging 4.9 plus on the reviews. That's pretty good stuff, folks. Give him a call today. He's the kind of loan officer that isn't going to surprise you with anything. He's going to walk you through it every step of the way. His name is Joe Shoney. His phone number is 435-590-6300. Be right back with Jordan Vertadero after this. Getting that AG-approved stamp means a lot. Just ask Angelica's Mexican Grill, Robert J. DeBry, Rescue Alert of Dixie, and the BBQ Pit Stop. Be AG-approved only on News Radio 890, 94.9, KBXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show. I screwed up. I had Jordan scheduled on my calendar for tomorrow, but Jordan is here today. And so I apologize those of you that were calling and wanting to talk to the police department. Uh, we'll get them back on. They're on every month, and uh, we can even, at special occasion, we'll have them on if there's something big happens. So, But I do want to welcome Jordan Verdadero into the broadcast. Jordan, how are you? Hi, Andy. I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Jordan is a reporter living now here in southern Utah for ABC4. How did that all come about? I know Katie decided to move on, actually step away from television. So there was an opening down here. Channel 4 wanted to keep the, I, we call it Southern Utah Bureau, I guess. They wanted to keep it alive. Yeah, definitely. It's very it's very vital that we have a Southern Utah Bureau uh, for our station. I mean, it's Southern Utah is a heartbeat as well as, you know, Northern Utah, Salt Lake City is. So I was actually reporting in Ogden. I was the Northern Bureau correspondent or okay. however you want to call it. And then right. um, once... Katie left. They replaced me with her, or her with me. <laughs> did you? Did I mean? Was that like a, a, a bucket list thing for? I want to get. I want to move around and, and move up and, and do whatever. I just go with the flow. You yeah. know, wherever the job <laughs> is, I'll go. Uh, my boyfriend's his job's very flexible, so they just allowed him to move too. And very I don't know. Cool. We're just kind of winging it, and this is where we ended up. But it's awesome here. What, what has been some of this unique challenges uh, here in, in learning uh, maybe the area, I guess? And Well, actually, I think southern Utah is pretty small, and it's easy to kind of maneuver. And let's move the microphone a little closer this in front way. of you now. There we go. Yeah. I feel like St. George is um, It's pretty easy to get around. Uh, the people here are awesome. I mean, we were living in North Dakota before we moved. Oh, wow. Yeah, to, to Ogden. So uh, it's not much of a difference besides the weather. Because, you know, yeah. North Dakota is negative 30 degrees so uh-huh. <laughs> in the wintertime. It's terrible. But you get to find out about our summers here pretty soon. So I heard it's like, going to be like miserable. It's, it's like 90 <laughs> today and, you know, the 90s this week. This is cool weather for us. This is not a big deal. We don't even notice it. Uh, you get about 110. We start noticing that it's hot. So <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm going to be wearing at that point because, like, I have to obviously dress modestly. But right. it's, I'm going to be sweating the whole time. <laughs> You might want to bring a couple of extra blouses, too, for when you get all sweaty. And oh, stuff. yeah. So, I mean, that's just it's... big pit stains everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't translate too well. Yeah. So, uh, OK, uh, let me let me find out a little bit about you and who you are. Vertadero's very unique name. We've talked about it before during our eight o'clock uh, talks, but maybe people who, do, who don't hear the show, then uh, can, maybe you can explain your name, where you're from and, and your heritage. Yeah. So my parents are both immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is from Chile and my dad's from Portugal. 
So that's where the long last name is, Vertadero. It's 10 letters and it was very hard for me to learn how to spell as a child, but <laughs> was worth it because for my job, it actually translates perfectly. Uh, the word literally translates to truth. Truth. So I try to take Ooh, that into my storytelling. That's a good name every for a single TV day. Reporter, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I definitely, I feel like a lot has changed how people view the media, and I feel like I try to throw that on them. I'm like, just so you know, like this is who I am, and I'm here nice. to tell the truth and get both sides of the story. Do you have you developed some contacts, people you lean on here in town, or, or is it? Uh, one thing I found out with Katie is you're a little bit of a lone wolf. I mean, you're your own camera person, right? You're your own writer. You're your own producer and, and film clip, you know, editor and, and things like that. So that's got to be pretty hard, yeah. I mean, I went to school for it, so I. This is what I studied. This is what I knew I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I'm pretty well versed, and it's comfortable for me. I actually like working on my own. Because then if I mess up, it's on me, right? And now I know what I need to fix next time. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the camera, actually booking interviews is probably the hardest part. It is. Because a lot of people don't work in their office down here. And I'm always having to track people down. And I have to, like, show up. And they're like, oh, hey, didn't expect you to be here. And I was like, sorry, I tried to call you, but I'm here now. So Yeah, let's talk. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I know what you mean because that's one of my big parts of my job is booking people on this show and and uh you know if you talk about two guests a day four days a week on fridays i don't usually have guests but uh, you know we're talking about eight people a week then i have to track down like you said and absolutely I, and i can't go to their place and track them down i have to get them to come here for the interview so it's right. def- definitely a challenge phone calls um, are hard and just emails you know yeah yeah so you have a big family um i do i have a huge family on my mom's side that i'm we're pretty close. We all have a group chat together. Nice. Uh, it's like 23 family members in is, one group chat. Is this chat. in Spanish? Yeah, this saying? is my okay. Chilean side, yeah. Okay. But my dad's side from Portugal, um, they're all in Portugal, except for my uncle. Um, so when I go home, I visit him. But he's the only one that's here right now. Everybody else is in Portugal. So do so. you speak Portuguese and Spanish? Sí, eu falo português e eu hablo espanhol. Wow, I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed. Uh, I have friends who speak both those languages, and, and I'm told that it's, it's good because they have a lot in common, but also it's difficult because words are slightly different in the two languages, and, and it can be confusing. Yeah, and that's the thing is sometimes I mix the languages. Uh-huh. I, I, just, I say I speak three languages equally bad. <laughs> that's just how it works. Yeah, and I can relate to that. I, I understand. So, very cool. So, um, all right, uh, you came here to Southern Utah. How long has it been now? Two months? Three months? Two months? Three months? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like keep that. track, I guess. <laughs> do you uh, do, do you have an overriding theme that you've, you've picked up on here in Southern Utah right now? I know, obviously, the drought is, is a big one. Yeah, I definitely, I'm actually going to be with the the Water Conservancy District all day today. Okay. Um, they're going to give me the a show tour. tomorrow. So yeah, okay. They're giving me a tour of all the different stations and the departments that they have and how that all works. Um, I'm going to be doing an in-depth story on how Southern Utah gets their what well, specifically Washington County, how they get their water here, mm-hmm. and because um, a lot of people don't really know where they get their water from. Right, this is water, and it's a desert. And where's it coming from? Yeah. Right, you just you turn on the faucet, and boom, it's coming out. But I, I think that. Uh, you know, you'll find, at least I feel like, that uh, Zach Renstrom over there at the Water Conservancy District has done a nice job of having us prepared for this drought. He's because, brilliant. 
a lot of places the drought hits and they're not prepared. But we mm-hmm. still had, I think he said, 90% one of our reservoirs and 70% full other reservoir. Considering this is a drought, that's actually pretty darn good. Yeah, but the thing is, is they're supposed to be full, right? Because right. that's true, true. They're supposed to be at above 90% capacity, 100% capacity. Because what happens, you know, if we can't get water from anywhere else, we rely on these reservoirs. That's why it's really important for people to take care of them when they are recreating out there. Um, I think that's something people forget is that this was originally intended to keep us alive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true, true. Uh, all right, uh, we've only got a minute or so left, Jordan. Career goals. Is it you want to be the anchor on the big news someday? Is oh, that the geez. career goal? Or? I don't know. I just see myself being happy and talking to people and telling people stories. And I know that sounds cliche, but I don't know. I just don't want to have a set goal because I feel like when people do that, they get disappointed. So, you know, I'm just, just going with the flow, and wherever I end up, I'm going to make the best out of it. So I like it. Do your very best. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I, I've been a sports writer and sports broadcaster my whole career. I didn't ever see me, myself getting into politics and news stuff. And the opportunity came. I had actually segued into, because of a newspaper I worked for, to, to work into news. And so for me, it was like, okay, I'll do this now. And, and I love it. I love my job. Do you love your job? I do. do I love it every day. I'm awesome. pretty lucky. I think we are pretty lucky. We are very lucky. Look for Jordan Vernadero on the streets of St. George uh, talking about the news and the truth, right? That's right. Living it up. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Andy. It's sure great to meet you in person. We've talked on the phone Ditto. how many times? A dozen I know, times, right? <laughs> anyway, we've used up the time. Again, tomorrow, Zach Renstrom from the Washington County Water Conservancy District will join me on the program we'll talk a drought we'll talk about how full those reservoirs they they can't still be 90 and 70 right if we're using that water please join me then nine o'clock tomorrow thanks for listening